0: I want to talk to you about shame today. I want to help you actually break the cycle of shame-based parenting approaches. Have you ever tried to stop yelling at your kids and then they get out of control and you find yourself yet again yelling at them? Or maybe you've tried lots of different kinds of rewards or punishments and it's just not working. Or maybe you've been working on being more patient and loving with your children, and then you find yourself yet again taking all their privileges away and grounding them until they turn 30. Many of us, in fact, I'd probably say most of us, were parented with shame-based approaches. And while, you know, some of us are doing okay. Our children, our teens, our young adults, especially our autistic and our neurodivergent or our highly anxious or highly sensitive or strong-willed children, teens, young adults, they are struggling. A lot of them are not doing okay. And shame-based approaches are making things worse. And they're damaging our relationship in the process. And it's not fun. So let's get into what shame based parenting approaches are and why they're so ineffective and destructive. And, you know, this is proven by, there's tons of research about this that's proving why these kinds of approaches are not great. And I want to help you be able to stop shaming, break that cycle of falling back into shaming approaches so that you can show up in ways that you feel good about and proud of. And so that you can actually better support your young person's happiness and success. And so that you don't keep adding to all the reasons that they're going to need years and years and thousands of dollars of therapy. Let's not add to their therapy bill. We have our kids for a limited amount of time and we want to be able to make the most of that time and enjoy them while they're in our homes and then create the kind of relationship where they want to come back when they have left our home and they've moved on. That They do want to come back and keep a relationship with us. So what are shame-based approaches? What do I mean by this? Shame-based approaches have an underlying shame to them. It's like a shame method, a way of shaming to get a change of behavior or behavioral compliance it's using shame it's using your power to influence them instead of a relationship of influence it's using your power your authority your position your dominance to control them it's showing up in ways that uses fear to trigger them to change or do something different and often it looks like parenting from a judgmental stance when we When we judge our child or our teen or our young adult, we are communicating to them by however we approach them that we see who they are or who they're being, and it's bad. They're bad. We may not intentionally mean to say you're bad, but when we are parenting from judgment of our kids, it is internally like sending the message that I have a problem with you. You're not okay. You're bad. You're a problem. Okay? Okay. So some examples, any more obvious than others, but like you were engaging in name-calling. That's super shame-based. That's kind of obvious, right? If you're yelling, if you're that angry and that emotionally charged at your child, like they're, it's scary to have an adult yelling at you. It's scary as an adult to have an adult yelling at me. Imagine, you know, as a child, when someone's yelling at a child, that's terrifying. And that's sending the message that you're bad. You're a problem. Anytime we're engaging in over-parenting, we're overdoing for our kid there's some shame in that it's saying you're not doing it right the way you're doing it isn't okay i have to do it for you if you are trying to control your kid like overly control them it's sending the message that you're not okay if you are rewards and punishments okay if you are punishing them and you're doing it especially if you're doing it from anger it's saying you're a problem it's there's the, there's a shame in punishment. Nobody gets punished and feels good about themselves. They feel terrible, right? And then rewards. Rewards are more nuanced. Oh, what's wrong with rewards? I'm giving them this positive, delightful thing that they want. But the, the thing with rewards is that it can send the message that you're not good enough unless you do this thing that I want to give you a reward for. Okay. And what it's actually doing, it, it can create an environment where a child is like feeling like they have to have that reward. Like their survival depends on getting that reward. And so they actually go into a fond response where they will do people pleasing or, and this was a really common one with all of our foster kids, they would do a fond response of lying or they would steal. They had to have that reward. And so they're going to do whatever they can to get it. And they would engage in like people pleasing. I'm going to tell you what I think you want to hear so that you will give me that reward. And the problem with rewards and punishments is it's this external motivator. It's this external force that you're putting out there that over time overrules their own internal motivators. And so, you know, like with people pleasing, if, if I am trying to manipulate you to do a behavior by giving you rewards or punishments and you want to please me and I'm going to be angry or upset at you if you don't please me right? You're going to override your own internal stuff and you're going to do what you have to do to please me. And okay, so you're like, well, what's wrong with that? I'm wanting them to do good things. Okay, well, that's all good and fine. But until they get around somebody that doesn't have their best interests in mind and wants them to do something and they feel the need to please that person and do things that, that aren't okay, that go against their own internal compass, that can be a real problem. We don't want to create an environment where kids are doing things because of outside external, like if that's the only motivator for them is external stuff. We want to help them develop internal motivators that for what feels good and right to them. So when we're looking at shame-based approaches, I want to dig in a little bit to what that really looks like. When we're shamed, Or experience shaming messages. It literally triggers a nervous system threat response. It is scary. It feels terrible. Your life feels threatened. And you go in, you know, kids will deal with that in different ways, but some will go into a fight response. They'll get really oppositional. They'll get angry. They'll fight against you. They'll push back because it feels terrible to be shamed. Some will will go into a flight response. They want to get away from you. They'll avoid you. They will do everything they can to trigger you shaming them. And that's a really stressful state to live in a lot of them will freeze up so they'll just spin in anxiety and stress and worry and they'll be afraid to try new things because they might disappoint somebody or um, they won't get the reward so they won't even try and then that fond response that i talked about like the people pleasing so when we're using underlying messages of shame when they're experiencing it as shameful like that they're bad like who they are and how they're showing up is not okay. And they go into that triggered response they literally are not okay like they are not happy they are not feeling well about themselves and they disconnect emotionally from the person that is provoking that response that feels like a danger to them and if you are triggering a threat response if you're like you better stop that right now and you're getting super angry and emotionally charged and then you're like trying to teach them why and and guide them and they're in a triggered response. They can't even access reasoning or logic. All they know is that you are scary and they are in trouble and this is bad and, and their brain's like, we could die here, literally in a survival threat response. They are not receptive to learning or understanding consequences or any of that, especially if they're autistic or neurodivergent, to make those connections and and interpret the social nuance of what's happening is or can be a huge struggle. I like to use the swimming example. And if you're thinking about it as in terms of shame-based stuff, if you were to approach from a shame-based or external pressure to get a kid to swim and they aren't ready for it. Where they're scared and you're like, no, you need to get in the water. And you're you're shouting at them and no, you stay in that water. Like they're you can't teach somebody to swim. They're not going to develop swimming skills if they if they're scared and they're feeling threatened in the water. I mean that could be a dangerous situation, right? You would you to to teach a kid to swim, we want to create lots of safety and help them get used to the water and and then we just slowly help them develop skills in the water. But if we're like, okay, I'm gonna reward you f- swim across the pool and I'll give you a reward. And they don't have that skill set or they're not ready for it, but they really want that reward. And they try to go swim and they don't have the skills. And I mean, you can see how this could be a really healthy, messed up situation. So when we're parenting with approaches that trigger that stress state, instead of a sense of well being, we're not going to have that kid that feels good. Right Like, because w- when we're in a higher brain state, we feel good, we feel confident, we can focus on learning difficult things. we can we can grow we we're more resilient when we're happy and feel good about ourselves, right? We can connect with people generally more cooperative, and when we're in a higher brain state, we feel like we're enough, we feel capable even if we have disabilities or challenges, we can still try and we can still do what we can do and be okay in that even if we make mistakes. It's a very different state of being when we're okay with ourselves. And we have students that come to our program Techie for Life where we're helping them with adulting. And we get autistic and neurodivergent students who have deeply internalized shame-based thoughts, stories, and beliefs. And They are stuck. They are just in that spin. They are frozen up. They are afraid to try new things. They're afraid to venture out. And there's so much anxiety and worry and so much self sabotage. And it looks like they're not motivated, but these kids are motivated. They want to adult, they want to have an independent life. But when they've got a lot of internalized shame, they're just frozen. They're so stuck. And it takes a lot of work to create an environment where. We're unshaming, and it's okay to be you, and it's okay to make mistakes. and And what do you want in your life? Don't do it because someone else is telling you. But what do you truly want to do in your life? It takes a lot of work to help students untangle that and to start having a sense of like I'm okay, and I'm good enough, and it's okay that I'm where I'm at, where I'm at, and to want to, to risk trying something new at the risk of failing at it and that they could still be okay with themselves. So how do we do this? How do we break the cycle of these shame-based approaches? I wanna offer to you that, that it takes a lot of internal work on ourselves, right? A lot of the work that I do with parents is helping them to unshame themselves, okay? And to unlearn ineffective approaches that have been modeled for them and that they have experienced. And it's so interesting, because we'll even have mentors that we hire that hate how their parent was controlling, and then in turn start to be controlling to one of our students. Even though they hated that, they... They don't know any different. It's like just subconsciously how they start interacting. And so we have to do work with that too. So with our mentors and just recognizing that a lot of us have internalized that our value, that our worth, that our good enoughness as a parent is based on external indicators, other people's approval, society's approval. And if we've internalized that outside things are what indicate if we're good, then it can look like, oh, well... Well, I can feel good enough as a parent if my child is happy and successful and doing well. But if they're anxious, if they're depressed, if they're struggling, if they're not meeting society's developmental, you know, the neurotypical timelines, if they're not meeting the same things and the same achievements as their peers, and we've internalized shame-based messages, then we start to, to get triggered. We start to get stressed. We start to get overwhelmed and upset about our child's performance. Because we we take it as like a reflection of ourself and our value and our self-worth. And then, of course, like, we're not going to be able to show up because we're triggered, we're upset, we're stressed, we're worried, we're anxious, right? We're not able to show up from that state in ways that we feel good about as a parent that are effective, the, the ways that we want to be able to support our kids in. So it takes a willingness to do the internal work if we want to show up differently, because we want our child, our teens, our young adults, do we want them doing things because they want to and they're working to be capable of it? Or do we want them doing it because if they don't, they're going to be punished or they're not going to earn that reward, even if they're not capable of it, right? Because a lot of them, they aren't capable yet. And if they've got shame-based, tangled up stuff, it that really inhibits their capability when we were parenting our foster and our adopted kids who had experienced extreme shame-based parenting like terrible parenting abuse and neglect showing up with softer versions of those shame-based approaches was not going to be helpful their kids might come out okay with that you know not great but okay But us showing up with lighter versions of those shame-based approaches was never going to be helpful with our kids. And we, Jason and I, we had to, and we were determined to do better for our kids. And that's what we want for you too. So I really appreciate you being here and for sharing this with others so that we can raise and mentor our young people to be healthy and confident and feel good enough <laughs> as much as we can as humans, right? To, to be able to, to, to feel good about themselves, even if they're struggling or having challenges and create an environment where they can develop their unique talents and their unique abilities and figure out who they want to be in the world that, that feels true for them and good for them. That's what I want for our kiddos. That's what I I want for you and your parenting experience. And I hope this helps you maybe recognize some of those unhelpful patterns and what might be going on. And it's work I've done and I continue to do. And I hope you'll join me in it. Have a great week. Take care. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Autism and Neurodiversity with Jason and Debbie. If you want to learn more about our work, Come visit us at jasondebbie.com. That's J-A-S-O-N-D-E-B-B-I-E dot com.